Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Today from the book of Malachi. You can follow along on the screens. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Um, This is the Advent season, and we read a rather obscure, perhaps, passage, maybe not one that frequently comes to mind when we think about the Christmas season, but uh, I just want to set some context Uh, for why we've read what we've read and what it will look like to reflect on it today, but also similar passages going forward. We, you know, typically we'll sit with like a whole book or sections of a book, longer portions of scripture here at Park City from week to week. And this season will look a little bit different. This Advent season, we're going to take a slightly different approach. We're uh, we're actually going to sit with a series of writings from uh, Old Testament prophets, a a collection of writings in the Old Testament. So in their order in your Bible, in the the Old Testament there, towards the end, many of them are collected towards the end, although they may fall sort of chronologically at different moments in that history. Uh, But but we're going to look at just a sampling of writings each week from a different minor prophet. And again, just to clarify, they're not called minor prophets because they are less in significance. It's simply a reference to their length. They are shorter Writings And many of them, the one particular that we've read today comes at a particular moment in the history of the story of the Old Testament, the people of God in the story. But what is characteristic of all of these passages, even the one we've read today, is the posture that I think is at home during the season of Advent, which is why the church historically in various streams has turned to these sections of scripture during this season because it taps into a feeling of posture of waiting of aching and longing for God to show up, to do something. And so it's in that posture that we step into Malachi today and we'll look at some other voices from this period in Israel's history in the coming weeks. But specifically Malachi, what uh, Emily read for us this morning before she tried to give away plants and shirts that we don't have. I'm so sorry, Emily. We have done that in the past and there are plants up here and if you take them, I won't stop you, but that is not... (laughs) their intention uh, today. But the, the Malachi specifically writes to the people of God after the exile. 
So you've lived through the ups and downs of the history of the Old Testament, and we won't rehearse all of it here, but many of you will know that towards the end of that history, they had found themselves overrun by stronger geopolitical powers. They'd been removed from their home, uh, many of them, and some had been sent back. Exiles had been uh, allowed to return and perhaps rebuild a bit of the life they had known previously. And that is what's happening in this moment. As Malachi writes, he writes to exiles who are returning uh, to Jerusalem. They're going uh, home. It's around the time. So if if you're familiar with the stories of the Old Testament, there are a couple of books called Ezra and Nehemiah that complement one another. This is, many believe, Malachi writing to that moment as Ezra and Nehemiah are, are teaching and instructing the people on what it means to rebuild and physically like rebuilding their city. And Malachi writes to them because as they return, as we'll see in a moment, as they're seeking to rebuild and reestablish themselves, uh, they find what is perhaps I think maybe true for many of us, maybe for you, that things are not sort of what they hoped they would be. They return to find things in a greater state of disrepair than maybe they had anticipated. I mean, the city is physically in ruins. That's why Nehemiah will muster a force to physically rebuild it. There's physical and uh, violent opposition to the rebuilding from within and with, with, without, sort of regional leaders stepping in to, to thwart what it might mean for Israel to be reestablished here. And then worship, sort of their practice of their faith life is in, is in shambles. It's a shadow of what it has been. And into this mix, into this mix, the voice of Malachi is rings as the voice of a minor prophet. Brief, he's, he's brief, and the structure of his writing is, is pretty well-defined and clear, a series of oracles, right? Um, he'll speak to just a series of things, and each oracle will follow the same format, and the one that Emily read, or a similar format, the one that Emily read for us today falls sort of in the middle of that moment of instruction, God speaking to Israel, talking to them as they step into these feelings of trying to find what uh, they were looking for. And, and it begins in verse 17. So that's just, again, a brief sort of overview of what brings us to this moment of the conversation. But it begins in, it begins in verse 17 where the, the structure that Malachi uses is a kind of conversation. It's like he pulls us into uh, a conversation between him, uh, God and his people. And Malachi is, you know, helping to facilitate uh, this, this chat. And he does so uh, here. Uh, he begins with what I'll call an ultimate conversation non-starter. Have you guys ever been in that sort of situation? You're like, yes, I was in it, you know, 60 seconds ago when you asked me to chat with a neighbor that I didn't know, and it was very uncomfortable, right? It begins with a, a, a non-starter. Uh, 2.17, this is how he begins. God speaking to his people, you have wearied me with your words. Let's just, let's just let that sit for a moment. The people of God, with all the history of the Old Testament that they bring to this moment, this is the faithful remnant returning home, perhaps. Many of them having like genuine and good aspirations for uh, what God would want for his people. And what they hear is, you have wearied me with your words. Ouch. Right? Where, where does a conversation with your creator go from there? We'll see in just a moment exactly what about these words has been wearisome. But given the context, you don't have to think very hard about it to sort of imagine their source. This is not what we expected. And they're voicing that 
concern and that frustration uh, to God. I, I wonder for you this morning, have you ever grown weary from words outside of Sunday mornings during this slot of the moment, you know? Have you ever grown weary from words? I wonder if you've, you know, I, I, I'm like my mind went to like, like have you ever grown weary from hearing them, right? Like I think of like toddlers, um, just mine, not never yours, but when toddlers are like around you and they're just like, you know, right? Like uh, uh, just it's a constant stream of words. My children are not toddlers and I catch myself occasionally even still. I'm just like, why are you talking to me, right? <laughs> Please let me wallow in the pity of Georgia's loss and quit trying to talk to me. I'm, you know, just, just come at you constantly with words or why, why, what, what, what? And it can feel wearisome. I wonder, uh, oftentimes the wearisomeness of words can come from insecurity. Maybe you have felt insecurity, and so a response to that is just sort of come at whomever with, with questions. Maybe, maybe have you felt the weary, have you ever grown weary from words from saying them? Not just hearing them, but, but saying them. You feel like you have said the same thing again and again. Maybe in prayer, you have said it again and again, and you've seen no change, and you read uh, you're drawn into a conversation like this and you hear God say, I have, I have grown weary. You have wearied me with your words. And part of me says, what are you talking about? Like, what, what do you mean you have grown weary? With my words, I am weary. I am weary from my own words that I say again and again and, and fail to see any sort of change. The same words over and over and over again and nothing being different, where do you get off saying you have grown weary? It's an interesting moment in the conversation. It takes a turn. I think it'll be helpful for us to sort of step into that feeling, to move through the conversation this morning. Uh, a helpful question to think, like, well, how or why exactly were their words wearisome to uh, God? I, I, my mind went to, again, you'll just have to indulge me. Are there any Seinfeld fans in the room? Maybe, I don't know. Do you guys remember the one where Kramer is like, uh, he's like, I'm going to like cut out the sort of movie phone person and do it myself, right? He's like, you can, and you know, there's this awkward back and forth. He's trying to like through questions, get to the movie they want to hear. And then he's like, why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you would like to, right? Or something like that. I, I feel like that in this passage, this Morning, you have wearied me with your words, and and they respond right. It's in, in the as Malachi gives us a story. He says, "Well, why? How have we done this? Why don't you just tell us plainly what you mean?" And then we get uh, we get an answer. God says, "This is how. These are the words that you have said. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord." And he delights in them. One and two, you say, where is the God of justice? I don't know about you, but I would imagine those are questions that you have felt resonate in your own heart and life, maybe personally or more broadly. We're given two summaries of the feeling, right, of the conversation. These, these are the words that you have spoken that, that have wearied me. And, and we almost are like, oh, that, right, this, these, 
words. One is ironic, right? It's, it's a kind of like, uh, it's less straightforward. There's a bit of irony here. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, right? But the other, where is the God of justice, is more straightforward. Again, maybe you have felt this weariness, the wearisomeness of these words, the sort of ironic cynicism of the first one. That you look around maybe at the sort of uh, condition of your own life or more broadly the world around you and like uh, the hearers in Malachi's day, you look around and you're like, man, things are so bad and God, you seem so distant or disinterested. I can only draw one possible conclusion from this. Evil is good or at least permissible or at least not important enough for us to care about it or for you to address or for us to address or for us to attempt sort of to adhere to any kind of standard of holiness in the midst of all of this because when I look around, this is what I see and you are not in the picture. So this is the conclusion I draw. Again, hang with me, right? I know this doesn't feel very Christmassy, but this is a word to people in waiting. Maybe it's not the cynicism of that first move that hits you. It's just a straightforward, where is the God of justice? And I would imagine if we were all comfortable public speaking or we knew everyone here and there was a circle of trust available to us, you could all share your own personal histories of this question. No cynicism, no sort of passive-aggressive beating around the bush here. Let's just get right to it. God, where are you? The one whose business it is to work justice, who has said, this is what I do. Hello, are you there? Are you here? I wonder, again, at the risk of like owning up to them a little too much, I do wonder like what is maybe behind or beneath these questions in the passage or in our own life. On the one hand, I know for me oftentimes it's a, maybe an overly pessimistic view about God's involvement. It's hard to believe, and so, I don't know, maybe, as we'll see in what follows, it's that our expectations of God's involvement are not quite prepared for the ways in which he will actually show up. So we move through the conversation, the non-starter, you have wearied me with your words, the response, oh, well, what do we do with that? Well, why don't you just tell me what has been wearisome? Okay, I will tell you. And then the conversation takes a surprising turn. What now? What, what will, what will God, what does God say in response? Does he say, I'm done? You're right. Uh, I'm out. I've tried with you a lot. Right, You have dropped the ball again and again. You refuse to go for the big play downfield, Georgia. You just sort of chip away. Right? I'm really, I'll be okay. No. Uh, right, you just, uh, right, you, it's yours. I'm done. I'm out. Have at it. Do the best you can. Is that what happens in the passage, in the conversation? No, the conversation takes another turn, a surprising turn, and, 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 and takes us to a beautifully Christmas word. Malachi says in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, behold, not a word we use frequently, but it resonates with the hope of Christmas. Behold, look here. 
a beautiful word heard right in the middle of Advent and all the aching and longing and frustration and cynicism and brokenness and, 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 and despair heard right in the middle of it. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It's a passage that, that uh, the New Testament writers knew, uh, understood, picked up on. It resonates with the, the story, the promise of John the Baptist announcing, preparing the way of Jesus, the Messiah, God come to be with his people. But it's here, I think, that maybe we bump into a bit of the context that we've been considering. It's relevance to our own hopes and fears, yours and Mine. It's been a few years, but when we first moved to Kansas City, we lived in an apartment in Shawnee, and uh, my kids were like three, uh, twin daughters, and they're, they're three, and uh, at the time, you know, it was a small sort of apartment, it was like the living room and the kitchen were in the middle, and then on each end of the room of the unit was like the bedrooms, theirs and, and ours, and I don't remember in which space I was in, but there was, uh, I remember a moment, uh, I made a note of it, and uh, I'm going to exploit it <laughs> for the benefit of an illustration in the sermon this morning, but um, uh, it, it, there was a, a moment in, in, in that sort of living space where I was in one room, and uh, one of my children was in the other, and she needed my help with something, so she said, Daddy, will you come here, and I said, I'm coming. But I did what every good self-respecting parent does. I just kept doing what I was doing. Right? Uh, and I don't know what it was, but uh, I just kept doing what I was. It's not important, but it's what I wanted to do, and that's what was important. And, uh, you know, again, Daddy, will you come here? I'm coming. And then just like, you know, there was like nothing, a few moments. And then she was four at the time, said matter-of-factly from, from her, her room. She said, no, you're not. Right? <laughs> no, you're not. And, and I think... We read a promise like this. We eavesdrop on this conversation. We hear God say, I am coming. And we say, no, you're not. Right? They've returned from exile. Their life is physically in ruin. Remember, they're rebuilding and there's opposition. Those who want to practice worship find it in shambles, right? It, it feels artificial and not everyone is in. And, and in the midst of all that, you hear him say, I'm coming. And we say, no, you're not. Look around. And in the lead up to Christmas, to the first Christmas, right? This is the span of time between the Old and the New Testaments. There have been ages of waiting, waiting and looking for God's activity in the world. We, we hear a lot of that. I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming. Centuries of it, it feels like. And, and, and we hear it then and we hear it now, but often we feel more and more like, no, you're not. No, you're not. One biblical writer, even as we heard from Psalm this morning, uh, elsewhere in the Psalms, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face for me. Psalm 77, will your grace run out? Has your steadfast love ceased forever? I'm coming. No, you're not. If you'll indulge me again with another 90s reference, any collective soul fans in the house? This was a reach. I'll just move on. All right. 
Malachi in this moment, right? I, I'm literally going to move on, right? Ma Malachi in this moment taps into that tension for you and, and, and me, this tension of Advent, the distance between the things we hope for and the nearness, right? The nearness of what we fear, that tension that lives there in your life and mine, Malachi speaks to that place. He says, God is here. I am coming and have come uniquely in Jesus and will come again into that longing and ache that you carry. In Advent, we start with that ache, right? But thankfully, this is not where the story will end. And in Malachi, we are fully at home in, in, in the ache, in the cynicism that we feel in this moment. But again, it is not where the story ends finishes, which I think moves me to consider the end of the passage. As God describes, I will show up, I will come, what will characterize his arrival? Well, what is it that that will look like? And he fleshes it out in the remaining couple of verses in chapter 3 that Emily read for us, verses 3, 4, and 5. And it's in that moment that we get these beautifully uh, Christmas images that, uh, you know, I should have sent you all home with fuller soap, but uh, that would have been an appropriate thing to let you take home. But he leaves us with the images of refiner's fire and fuller's Soap, And this is the moment in any conversation, you have had it probably with me, where you're like, well, this is awkward, right? Like, what is this guy talking about? Fire and soap. I mean, they're not exactly comforting images. They don't make you think like, you know, pull out the holly, right? This is not, they're not fostering images of like nostalgia and, and warmth. Fire and soap, bleach, right? Fuller soap, kind of bleaching soap and fire. God in this moment saying, when I show up, I will cleanse and refine. Right? I, I, I will wipe clean and I will refine. I will wipe what is dirty and smudged and impure in your life. I will wipe it clean. And I will refine all of that broken fracturedness in your life. I will re re refine. He, he gets specific in verse 3 and 4. And then in verse 5, verse 3 says, I, 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 will, I will clean and refine your worship, your relationship to me, he says. Right? He says, like, like fire and soap, I will purify you. He talks about the sons of Levi. Uh, that your offerings will, will be brought in righteousness to the Lord. In verse 4, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the former years, that he will, he will make whole their relationship to him. But then that's not all, right? He says, I, I will cleanse and refine not only the way you relate to me, but also the way you relate to each other. Justice, not just your worship, but your, your justice. I will refine Purify, cleanse. Your relationships with others will be exposed, right, for all the injustice that, that it perpetuates, right? And I will renew it. I will draw near to you, he says. And my presence, my nearness to you will be a witness against. And then he lists all the ways in which they have oppressed one another. They have ignored those in need. All of the ways in which their relationships with each other are broken. He says, I will cleanse, which I think sort of moves me to another question, if I could be so bold as to add my question to this conversation. We'd be like, well, how is this hope 
right? Like, how is this so, particularly for a cynic, right? If, if, if you're here and, and you come into this moment with all the pain and brokenness, with the, the, the questions that Malachi has drawn us into, God, where are you? And, uh, I can only draw one conclusion from the condition of my life and the world in which I live. How is I am like soap and fire? A good word for me there, for you. Well, I, I'm not going to say everything there is to say about this feeling, but I think the passage does an interesting thing that implied in this promise from God that I will show up to put right all that is broken in your relationship with me and with each other. He, he makes an interesting assertion. I think it's an implied assertion in the passage. He says uh, this conversation, the implication here is you, you, are more broken than you realize. And, and he's clear here, all of you, all of you, even, even those of you who come to me uh, weary from the lack of justice in the world around you, you are more broken than you realize. We, all of us. And you say, Matt, why do you say that? How so? Well, I think we find it in chapter 3, verse 2, tucked right in the heart of the passage. This is what he says. God says, I will come. And when I come, who can endure the day of my coming? Who can stand when he appears? It's a rhetorical question. Everyone knows the answer. What's the answer? No one. No one. No, no one. No, no one. No one, no one. We used the image last week of the Grinch. I wore a tie to dinner. It's all I knew to do. No one. Doesn't matter how you dress it up. No one. Who can stand? No one. The implied accusation here is that you think you can. You think you can. And I'm here to tell you, God says, as he shows up in this conversation, you're all more broken than you realize. Uh, I recently uh, was reading through um, Bar Barbara Kingsolver takes the story, uh, Dickens' story of David Copperfield and retells it in like a present day Appalachia, uh, Southern Appalachia context in a book she uh, titled Demon Copperhead. And in it, you know, it's sort of the brokenness of opioid addiction and institutional poverty, all these injustices that raise all sorts of questions. God, you know, uh, it's not a, a religious text, but raises the question, where are you in all of this? And in it, the main character says, there's a million roads a person like me can take to ruin, and none I'd found so far led anywhere else. And I think, I think the hope of this passage, this Advent passage in Malachi, is it draws us all to this confession. Who can stand? No one. No one. There's a million roads that lead to ruin. And none I'd found so far lead anywhere else, not even my best well-intentioned ones. I think the cynicism of this conversation, I think... A lot of times it can come from a good place, right? We have higher standards. We want things to be better. And oftentimes I think it affords us the luxury of being perhaps right without carrying any of the responsibility to, to change. That is to say the responsibility of also being wrong. 
the anger that can grow sometimes from that disillusionment, from that sense of disappointment that we carry over time about what is broken uh, in the world around us, I think sometimes can diminish our, 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 our vision of what is broken within us. C.S. Lewis is helpful again for me here to be a Christian, he says, is to forgive the inexcusable uh, in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And this is, this is where Malachi, I think, brings us amazingly. This is the unexpected move, right? The move that says, who can stand? No one, not even you. That wrapped up in that assertion is the hope of Christmas and Advent, right? This is the move of the, of the human heart. It speaks, uh, Malachi speaks to this move in us. Advent speaks to it. The good news of the gospel speaks to it. Who can stand? No one, not even you, but one has come who can and will stand in your stead. I'll leave you with this image. And Andrew, you can come on up and we're going to close with a carol. If you'll indulge me one more time with another literary image. I had a few that I wanted to go to. I'm going to go to Lord of the Rings this morning. Thanks. Yeah. Just for Lisa. If you were here last week, she drives a hard bargain. You know, you got to like, uh, yeah. Right. But if you're not familiar with the story, that's okay. Uh, you know, I'll be brief. Um, but th there's one particular character that I've always, character that I've, I've, I've really always uh, liked. If you've seen, maybe you've seen the movies. And it's the character of Boromir, right, from The Sons of Men. He, he, he is in a sort of Malachi place. He, he recognizes the evil that is out there. He sees that uh, change needs to happen, right? And he thinks that he can be a, a part of, of that. And, and uh, you, you'll know that he's sort of caught up. He's a part of the fellowship, this quest to go and undo what is broken and evil in the world. But he is cynical, right, in, in his uh, uh, belief. That, that one would come who could, who could possibly be objectively good. Which, you know, in the story, spoiler alert, it's Aragorn, right? You can go read it later. Right, that among their group is one he could trust, another he could trust to be objectively good. And, and if you're familiar with the story, you watch it in the movie, it's a beautiful, sort of compelling scene, but uh, he's, sort of, he's having his own sort of wrestle with uh, his relationship to what is broken in the world and his role and sort of speaking to it. And you can feel the cynicism and his relationship fractures, his relationships in the group. He can't trust anyone. He's always critiquing them, their decisions, their motivations. He has trouble uh, sort of taking uh, them as they are. And he's always sort of justifying his own actions in the group. Uh, holding them to a standard that perhaps he himself is not willing to take. But there's a moment in the story where Galadriel, the elf ruler, gets like, oh, really, just wrap it up, man. Elves, Christmas time, it's a little too on the nose, but it's all right. Right, Galadriel, who is his power and, uh, you know, is, is uh, you know, not eternity, but is like longevity and all of this in this moment, she looks him in the eye, and it's a, it's a moment of revelation. He is revealed. He, he is seen to his core. She sees through him to his motivations, and he realizes in this moment, who can stand? Not even me. He realizes how fallen he is, that he can't hold her gaze. 
he's moved to a place of faith, trust in the one who is. And I would say to you, via Lord of the Rings, collective soul, I don't know, some weird stuff, Malachi, this is the word of the gospel to you this morning. Who can stand in, in your own conversation with the Father in all of its honest brokenness and frustration? You come with words, God, where are you? That you would hear it as remarkably good news. Who can stand? Nobody. Not even you. come to breathe life into all of your broken, impure, and dirty places. And he will cleanse and refine you. Will you stand? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.